So today is the last part of our teaching series, which we called Nobody's Nobody. And the point we've been making over the last several weeks now is that in the Bible, there are a lot of people who are uh, barely mentioned. There are others who do significant things, but their names are never even given to us. And the bottom line is, they're all a part of God's story which says to you and me that actually every single one of us too matters to God, is important to God, and is part of God's story. And winding this series up, I started last Sunday, and last Sunday I started by referring to four different people in the Bible that God had something special for, and each one of them, when God spoke to them, basically said some variation of, but who am I? Who am I? And what I started to do last Sunday was to answer that question, and I want to continue with that today. I've never read any of the Chicken Soup for the Soul books, have you? Okay, I've seen them. I thought I might have to hand in my man card if I bought one, so, I, so I, I, I never bought one. But it started like with chicken soup for the soul, and now it's like there's a chicken soup for everything, right? Chicken soup for left-handed Irishmen. There's, there's, you know, there's, there's, there's all kind of chicken soup books that are out there. And, and a, number of the, a number of the variations were written by a guy with the glorious name of Hannock McCarthy. And Hannah McCarthy says this, it's not who you are that holds you back, it's who you think you're not. Maybe I should buy his book. It's not who you are that holds you back, it's who you think you're not. That quote reminded me of one of the best known stories in the Bible, the story of the prodigal son, right, who left home and went away and squandered his inheritance that his father had given him, and then sitting, feeding pigs and eating the pig food, he he had this kind of aha moment, and, and, and the Bible says he came to his senses And he said, you know, even my father's servants are doing better than I am. Maybe I'll go back and ask him if I could just be a servant. And on his way back home, he started rehearsing the conversation he'd have with his father. You ever done that? We've all done that, right? He's working through the conversation. And he thinks, you know, now here's what I'm going to say. Father, I've sinned. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. And then he went on from there. And then the Bible says when he was getting near home, his father actually was looking for him, ran out and met him, and his son started the speech. I'm not worthy to be called your son. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. And his father stopped him. And his father started telling the servants, hey, this is my son. He's back home. Let's give him a decent robe to wear. Let's give him proper sandals for his feet. Let's have a feast and let's have a celebration. The prodigal son's take on it was, I'm not worthy. The son, the father's take was, my son's back home. And if we're not careful, we can live our lives in, I'm not worthy. 
I'm not important. I'm not good enough. I'm not special enough. I'm not spiritual enough. You fill in the blank yourself. You can live your life that way, whereas what we need to do is not live our lives under the shadow of what we say about ourselves. We need to live our lives in the glorious light of what God says about us. Who am I? Okay, let's see God's answer to that question. We don't have the right to define ourselves. Our Creator has the right to define us. So what's God's answer to that? Well, we look at this verse, or we started to last Sunday. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. Here's what the Bible says. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we started last Sunday and we looked at you are a chosen race, but there are five statements in this verse. Now, if you're good at math, you'll work out, I did one and it took me half an hour. I'm doing four today. If you're not good at math, that's two hours. I'm kidding. All right, so here we, but last week we looked at the fact we are a chosen race, right? Uh, that, that today for every one of us who knows the Lord and is part of the family of God, we are part of the family of God because God chose us. That's the bottom line. Not through anything we've done, not through anything we've deserved, but, but absolutely, totally, God chose us. That's why we belong to the Lord. You are a chosen generation or a chosen race. Then, then let's look at the second statement in verse 9 there. The Bible says you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. That's an interesting phrase. You don't get called that every day, do you? You are a royal priesthood. In, in the book of Revelation, chapter 1 and verse 6, it says this, he has made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever, amen. He has made us a kingdom of priests. I, I was reading some background about this and I saw one writer said, the meaning of this is probably that at once they have the dignity of kings and the sanctity of priests. That's nice, but what does that mean? Okay, so let me take you back. Uh, we were, a couple of us were talking earlier this morning and saying that in, in, in school we had taken Latin classes. Um, I did four years of Latin. And uh, Lord knows why, but I did... <laughs> I did four years of Latin. I've never had to use it. Learning a dead language is kind of not helpful. But the Latin word from which we get priest is actually the word bridge builder. So in the Bible, in the, in the Bible, let's, let's look at the context of priests here. In the Bible, the priest was the bridge builder. Basically, he was the middleman between the people and God. 
So in the Old Testament, when the priesthood was instituted, Aaron was the first priest. So Aaron became the people, the person who actually prayed to God on behalf of the people, went into God's presence in the tabernacle on behalf of the people, and he was the one who would speak to the people on God's behalf. So he was the link. He was the bridge builder. And there were very rigid rules for who could be a priest after that. In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 4, it says this, no one elects himself to this honored position. He's called to it by God as Aaron was. So not any old body in the Bible could be a priest. You had to be a descendant of Aaron. And then there's a whole list of stuff in the Bible that says what's necessary to qualify to be a priest. Uh, someone who had any kind of physical disability could not be a priest. There were rigid guidelines for their family life. You could not shave your head, Tom. So no, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't be a priest with a shaved head. You, you, you could not trim your beard if you were a priest. Now, it says you cannot cut your body. I really don't know what that means. Maybe if you got tattoos, you can't be a priest. How about that? So if you're clean shaven with a bald head and tattoos, you're out of it. <laughs> Sorry, ladies. <laughs> hey, that's true. Women would never have been in either. But the priest was the go-between. Now, a lot of us have church backgrounds that really have that kind of structure in them, where the priest is the go-between. Hey, I can't get close to God, but the priest, he's the bridge. The priest talks to God on my behalf. The priest brings God's messages to me. And you don't have to come from a Catholic background to be in that. Trust me, there are plenty of non-denominational you know, non churches where the pastors set themselves up as the Pope and, and, and kind of really you know, like to put people down and pretend they're nobody, he's everything, and he's the key person who hears God. But here's what the Bible tells us. When Jesus was crucified, there were a whole bunch of things that happened. At the moment that he breathed his last breath on the cross, there were a number of things that actually took place. Now, the temple that was the center of worship had a number of different compartments to it. And, and, and the one ultimate one was called the Holy of Holies. And inside the Holy of Holies, there was the Ark of the Covenant, Right? Any of you that are old enough to remember Indiana Jones, you've seen it, right? Okay. So, so the Ark of the Covenant was in there. And, and once a year, the high priest, he was the only person who could do it, went in behind this veil, they called it. Uh, and he went in and took the blood of sacrifice on the Day of Atonement to sacrifice it for the sins of the people of Israel. He was the only one who could go into the presence of God. The veil, let me read this because I'll get it wrong otherwise. The veil was 20 feet wide. It was 60 feet high. 
and it was four inches thick. So it wasn't a curtain, it was more of a carpet, I guess, and a really good one. And here's what it says, when Jesus expired, Matthew 27 and 51 says this, at that moment, the temple curtain was ripped in two, top to bottom, from 60 feet up, ripped, top to bottom. There was an earthquake and rocks were split in pieces. The moment Jesus died, that impenetrable barrier, the thing that kept everybody except the high priest out of the presence of God, the moment Jesus died, it was split in two from top to bottom. It was a miraculous event. If it was bottom to top, some smart person would say, yeah, I guess somebody ripped it and cut it. No, it was split in two from 60 feet up from the top to the bottom because the moment Jesus died, God made a statement to every one of us, you don't need a go-between anymore. The front door's open. So, who am I? You are a kingdom of priests. You are priests and kings. You're the priests now. You are as special as anybody is special because you and I have open access to the Father. We don't need a third party to build a bridge for us because Jesus cleared the way so that every single one of us can enjoy the presence of God. We are people who have direct access to the throne room of heaven. Hello? Direct access to the throne room of heaven. Feel free to ask me to pray for you, and I will. But I don't have any better access than you've got. Because I'm no more a priest than you are. Or let's put it this way. You're as much of a priest as I am. He has made us kings and priests. We are a royal priesthood because we have direct access to the throne room of the King of Kings. Who am I? You're a royal priesthood. Who am I? You're a holy nation, it tells us. In 1 Peter chapter 2, you are a holy nation. The, the, the basic meaning of the, the word holy, it's a Greek word, hagios, which basically means different. You're a different nation. Who are we? We are different people. I, I want to encourage you, don't beat yourself up for what you're not or where you feel you fall short. Because God calls you holy now. Who am I? You are a holy nation, says God. Doesn't God know? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. But God sees us now as different 
and it's special. Sure, we're all still working out the kinks, and God is helping us with those, but he recognizes us now as holy and different. God doesn't look on any single one of us as being substandard. God looks upon us, and he sees the finished article because he knows that... (coughs) Excuse me. What he has started in us, he is going to finish. So God calls us basically what we are. Yeah, we're becoming that. We're in the in the it's in the works, but as far as God's concerned, it's already finished. You are a holy nation. You're different. You're special. Because of Jesus, you're good enough already. I didn't just say stop working on yourself, did I? No, I didn't. But as far as our acceptance by God and recognition by the Father goes, the reality is God looks on us as holy, as different, because He sees the work that will be finished. In Isaiah chapter 62 and verse 12, God's speaking to the people of Israel and prophetically to you and me, and He says of His people, they will be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you will be called sought after, the city no longer deserted. They will be called the holy people. You know what God calls us? God calls us a holy nation. God calls us holy people. God isn't looking at the flaws. God is looking at us as His prized possession. Called holy. Called different. Being called different by God is so inspiring. In the the 1980s, 1984, I first visited the United States. And I came over to speak at a pastor's conference in Virginia Beach. And to my great surprise, they asked me back the following year. And so in 85, I was down there for the pastor's conference. And and, uh, the guy who was hosting it, who's been a friend of mine since all those years ago, and has been here a number of times, Wally Odom, so Wally and I became firm friends. And, and in 85, when I was there, his daughter was, a, I think, a senior in high school, and she was a cheerleader, and it was Friday. So Friday Night Lights was on. So he said, uh, I was going to go to the, um, the high school football game tonight. Do you want to come? I said, yeah, I, re- I really do. If you could just explain to me what they're doing, <laughs> right? Because I come from a soccer background, and could never make out American football. When I saw glimpses of it on movies on TV or what, I couldn't understand what they were doing. And uh, so I said, if you can explain some of it. So we're at this game, and my, my lasting memory of the game is this. A guy who apparently is called the quarterback, he threw this incredibly long pass, which was pulled in by a guy who apparently is called the wide receiver. I learned a lot that night. And this wide receiver ran about 50 yards and scored a touchdown. And this crowd's up on their feet and they're cheering. And I'm cheering because this is the the school that kind of, you know, Wally's daughter's part of. And so I'm cheering there. But there's a guy in front of us going nuts. Like absolutely going crazy. And when the kid crosses the line to score... The guy is jumping so wildly, and he turns around at us, and he shouts in our faces, that's my boy! (laughs) 
And I realized in the moment, it's like, all right, no wonder you got so carried away with yourself because that's your boy. He's so special to you. And I want to tell you this, this Sunday morning, God looks at you today, every single one of us here today, and God looks at you and says, that's my boy, that's my girl, that's my child. God sees you as his different people marked out as his own. You are a holy, a different nation. Let's develop that thought with the next phrase. A people for God's own purpose. Now, some of you purists who read the Bible in the King James Version, because that's what St. Paul used, some of you purists might know that in the King James Version, it says this. It doesn't say a people for God's own possession. It says, you are a peculiar people. <laughs> but I'm trying to be nice today, so I put it in a different translation. <laughs> a people for God's own possession. Belonging to God. A subsequent visit to Virginia Beach, because they asked me back the next year or two to the pastor's conference. It was a little later and baseball season had started. So in Virginia Beach, Wally said, hey, do you fancy going to a baseball game Friday night? I said, yeah. Now back then, the Mets actually had one of their teams down in the Tidewater Tides in, in Norfolk. So I don't know what it was, double A, triple A, whatever it was. So they, they were down there and they were playing in Norfolk, Virginia. So we went over there and, and we went over to watch the Tidewater Tides game. And, and what my friend Wally was really excited about, guy comes up to bat. I mean, I don't know half of what's going on even or how you play the game, let alone know any of the players. A guy comes up and Wally excitedly says, that's Mookie Wilson. Now, I had no idea who Mookie Wilson was, and it sounds like half of you don't either, but never mind. Um, <laughs> so, so Mookie Wilson comes, comes up to the plate. Now, we're there. Jill was with me on this occasion, and we're there with Wally and Gwen and our friends Robert and Margaret Cameron, and their two young children were there with them. And so we're all there, and so Mookie Wilson hits this fly ball which starts kind of coming up in our direction. Um, you know, I didn't know you try to catch fly balls. I thought you just get out of the way of them. So, so I ducked. It's like, but actually it wasn't coming directly to me. It hit Robert's son, Robert James. It hit him on the arm and then it bounced off and a guy behind us scooped it up. And then the crowd around us started shouting at the guy. Give it to the kid, give it to the kid, give it to the kid, right? The ball had hit him. He was crying actually, you know, he's a young kid. It had hurt him and they're give it to the kid. And so very reluctantly, this guy passes over the fly ball from Mookie Wilson. Now, two or three minutes before, it was just another baseball in the umpire's bag. But now, Mookie Wilson had hit it. Now it's a Mookie Wilson fly ball. It made it something special. 
If you ever went, some of you might have been, to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and took a look around there, by one of the exhibits, there's an old Gibson hollow-body guitar, which you might look at and not think anything about until you realize it's part of the Chuck Berry display. And 75% of you got no idea who I'm talking about there. And, I, and I'm sorry for you. How did your parents raise you? It's like <laughs> but that guitar is, is you know, it's, it's some old guitar. But no, it's not some old guitar anymore it, because Chuck Berry owned it. If you were to go and, and, and do a historic tour of an old home in Fairfax, Virginia, it, it's a walk back in time. And one of the exhibits there is a set of false teeth. You're all going to Virginia now, right? It's a set of false teeth made of a combination of human, horse, and cow teeth. I mean, why on earth would they be on display? And then you realize the historic house is Mount Vernon, Washington's home, and those were George Washington's false teeth. To my mind, that's still gross, but anyway, <laughs> whatever floats your boat. All that to say this, things get a special value depending on who they belong to and who owns them. And you are God's own possession, which makes you very special indeed. God's own possession of great value to him. In fact, in the next verse in 1 Peter verse 10, it, it puts it this way in the Bible. It says, once you were less than nothing, now you are God's own. Isn't that fantastic? Once you were less than nothing, but now, now, now what's your identity? I am God's own. That makes you of absolutely incredible value. God's own possession. I've got a jacket I wear a lot through winter and, uh, and spring, and uh, I should probably toss it out because it's looking a bit tatty in some ways. But you know what? I paid 40 bucks for it a few years ago. I want to get my money's worth out of it, right? So, so I, but what I, you, you know why I hold on to this jacket? Here's what I like about it. The side pockets have got zippers on. The inside pocket's got a popper on. So, wallet goes in there, zip it up safe. Keys go in there, zip them up, safe. Phone goes in there, close the popper, safe. Wallet, keys, phone. Wallet, keys, phone. And now and again, if I'm driving or something, I'll be, wallet, yeah, we're good, we're good, phone, keys, wallet, keys, phone, wallet, <laughs> keys, wallet. The things that are most important are kept very safe because they matter. In John chapter 10 and verse 29, it says this, my father who has given them to me 
is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. So here's another truth about being part of God's special possession. He keeps us safe. He keeps us safe. He guards us. He protects us. And nobody can snatch us out of the Father's hand. Every single one of us who is part of God's family, God's own possession, are of incredible value, and we are kept by God's amazing power. I was looking through my bookshelves at home just before Christmas, and I was looking for a particular book which I couldn't find, and, and, and I, I saw an old book there that I hadn't looked at for a long time, and I pulled it off the shelves, and this old book is, is absolutely falling apart. And I looked at it, and I thought, I'm going to give this to my granddaughter, Emily, who was 17 at the time. I'm going to give this to Emily for Christmas. Yeah, you're wondering now, right? It's like, how cheap can you get? Give your, grand, give your granddaughter a tatty old book that's falling apart. So, inside that book, it's, it's called Grimm's Fairy Tales, the Grimm brothers who wrote fairy tales years ago, right? Grimm's Fairy. But inside that book is a, an inscription presented to James Ernest Henry Blackmore. That's a name, right? That's my father. And it was for his schoolwork in 1926, almost 100 years ago. And the school was at the army base in India where his father was serving and where the family was living. It's a tatty old book, but it's a link with my father, her grandfather, and Emily is absolutely, totally into books. She loves it. Take her to a second-hand bookstore and she'll spend a whole afternoon there. And I knew she'd appreciate it. Don't worry, I gave her money too. It's okay. <laughs> I'm not that cheap. But you know what made that book special? Beat up as it is. A little bit falling apart. You know what made it special? That was my dad's book. That's what made it special. And I want to say to some of you here this Sunday morning, you may feel old, a bit beat up, not as strong and perky as you once were. You may feel as if you're past your peak, but you are still of incredible value to God. Never lose sight of that because you are God's own possession. Here's what God said to Israel in Exodus 19. He said, out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Who am I? Who are you? I am a chosen race. I am a royal priesthood with direct access to the throne room of God. I am a holy nation. God sees me as, as perfected. God doesn't see all the flaws. And I am someone, a people for God's own possession. I am incredibly valued by God. 
And then the last thing, and well, I almost got there. The last thing is here's what it goes on and says there in, in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. It says, here's who you are, and the purpose of all this is so that you can proclaim the excellencies of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Who am I? Well, the Bible says you are all these things, but, but there's a reason for you being all these things, so that you can show the light of God to those who are in darkness. Be light givers. Be light spreaders. Be confident in who you are and spread the light. Hey, there's a practical way to do that with the invitations that you're, were on your seat this morning. But whatever way you have opportunity, just share the light, that you may proclaim the excellencies of the one who's called you. Tell your story when you get chance to tell your story. Don't preach it, people. Don't condemn people for how they live because they don't know Jesus yet. But just share your story of God's the God who brought us out of darkness into this, His marvelous light. And if you're sitting here with us this Sunday morning and say, wow, that's not kind of where I feel that I'm at. I want to tell you today that Jesus came so that you could be part of God's family. Because God's got a part for you in His story too. Because you were so valuable to God. How valuable? The life of God's Son was given for you and for me. And if you have never yet embraced Christ as your Savior, I want to encourage you this Sunday morning to open your heart to Jesus and take on this new identity of a child of God, chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Let's pray together.